0: Let's open the Bible this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 2. First book of the Bible, second chapter. The text for the sermon, which I will not reread, is verses 18 through 23. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man. Of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is dallium in the onyx stone. The name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittikal, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the inspired, infallible, sacred scripture. May God bless the reading of it. As announced, the text is verses 18 through 23. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the foundations of our society are not only shaking, and they've been shaking for a long time, but they are crumbling to pieces right now In my lifetime, in your lifetime, the very foundation of society is crumbling. It was only a few months ago with the turn of the new year that the highly popular and widely used dictionary.com announced as its word of the year for 2022, woman. Because in 2022, searches for the word woman spiked people were looking up the definition of woman as never before. And that's because transgender identity and rights has surged to the forefront of our national discourse and because in 2022 there was a nominee for the Supreme Court who, when asked to define woman, refused and claimed she's not an expert in biology. And that led to the very popular question, what is a woman? That's a very ominous thing. The foundations of our society are crumbling. We as a society have just recently officially redefined marriage through the Supreme Court. And now we're busy redefining man And woman, human autonomy and rebellion against God, which has always been great, going all the way back to the fall of Adam, is now so great in these last perilous days that we're trying to redefine the most basic terms and concepts of human existence marriage, man, woman. What is a woman? Everyone knows a woman is an adult female human being. And everyone knows that a man is an adult male human being. And everyone knows, everyone knows that a marriage is a lifelong, exclusive, committed, Relationship between one man and one woman. But all of these things are up for grabs now. Confusion and destruction... So this morning we want to go to the unchanging, authoritative, infallible Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And this morning we want to go all the way back to the beginning, following the methodology of our Lord Himself. For when the Pharisees came tempting our Lord regarding marriage and divorce and remarriage, Jesus says, I'm not going to talk to you. I have nothing to say about marriage and divorce and remarriage unless we go back to the beginning. Matthew 19, verse 4, have ye not read? You all know the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Have ye not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And then Jesus keeps going and he quotes from this passage that we consider this morning. He quotes from Genesis chapter 2. Back to the beginning. If you want to understand something, you have to know its origin back to the beginning. And so let's do that this morning. Let's go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2 regarding marriage, manhood, and womanhood. And may God use the preaching of this word in the service of the gospel of Jesus Christ to strengthen within all of us our conviction concerning the truth so that the foundation is of the church does not even begin to shake God brings the woman to Adam let's make that our theme for these verses and let's consider three things first the act of God second the response of Adam and third the significance for us the act of God consists of three parts And the first part of his act in the text is to awaken the man Adam to his need for a woman. Now, before we consider that teaching of the text in verse 18, let's just make clear for a moment something that is not always so clear. And that is Genesis 1 verse 1 through Genesis 2 verse 3 describes the creation of all things in six days and how God rested on the seventh. When you keep reading into Genesis 2, verse 4 and 5 and all the way into the chapter, the chronology is not continuing. We're not now reading about day 8 or day 9 or week 2 or week 3, but the inspired writer is going back into the first week And particularly to that very significant sixth day. And now he's going to relate to us more distinctly what happened on that sixth day. It was on day six that God made man. His name was Adam. And now here comes the text. Verse 18 And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. It is not good. That's a shocking statement after everything we read in chapter 1. It is good. It is good. And now God, only, God is not only thinking, but God is saying about something. It is not good. And what is not good is Adam's aloneness. And his aloneness is not good because so long as Adam remains alone, God's purpose for him will not be fulfilled. And what's not good about his aloneness is made very plain from the fact that God would take care of that aloneness by bringing to him a woman. So what's not good about Adam's aloneness is that he's incomplete and he is unable to express his social nature as a human being. God made Adam for intimate fellowship with him as God and for fellowship with others who are like Adam. But it didn't matter where Adam went in the whole of the Garden of Eden. Adam could not find anyone or anything that was like him, that could understand him and know him and relate to him and communicate with him and socialize with him in the mutual bonds of love. There wasn't anyone and so God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. But Adam doesn't know this. Adam has just been created. God is his God. What could be more amazing than being Adam in the Garden of Eden? Everything he knows, everything he sees, everything he experiences is simply amazing. He doesn't know that something's not good. So God has to wake him up to the conscious realization Something's not good. And that's what God does. Verses 19 and 20. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field but for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him, just as God would do later by His almighty hand of providence in bringing all these animals to Noah. God brings all these animals to the King of Creation, Adam, for him to name them. And when Adam names them, it's not that Adam is brainstorming and arbitrarily coming up with some name for each of these creatures as if he looks at something in the shape of a horse with black and white stripes and says, hmm, I could call it a giraffe. Maybe kangaroo. No. I'll call that tall one with the long neck, I'll call that giraffe. I'll call this one a zebra. That's not what Adam was doing, arbitrarily selecting names. Every creature already had a name. It was built right into it by the creative work of God. In the scripture, the name is revelatory, so that later this woman will be called Eve. Well, of course she's called Eve. She's the mother of all living. That's what Eve means. She couldn't be called Mary. She couldn't be called Priscilla. She couldn't be called Salome. There's only one name for her. Look at her. She's the mother of all living. Of course, her name is Eve. So, each one of these creatures, it already had a name that was built into it by the creative work of God. And the thing with Adam now, in the state of original righteousness, he had a superior knowledge, and he was able to look at a creature, and he could see it for what it really was. He could see the essence, the true nature of it, and he knew what it was, and therefore he knew its name. So now, he's calling them out. He's calling out the name of each of these creatures. The text doesn't say in verse 19... And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that became that became the name thereof? As if it didn't have a name. It came to Adam, and now it has a name. But, we read, And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. He's calling out the names. And it's during that process, with all these animals coming to him, that... It's made clear to Adam, each one has another that goes with it. Noah would see this later. Two, 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 male, female, male, female. Look at, they go perfectly together, male, female. And it dawns on Adam, I'm the only one. I'm the only one in the whole garden who doesn't have another that is like me. Verse 20, But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. There was no helper for him. A helper is someone who lives with you. They love you. They care for you. They assist you. There was no helper who is meet for him. To be meet is to meet someone at their level and to fit them to be of the same rank, to be of the same life to have the same spirituality. There was no other creature like Adam that could understand him and communicate with him. There was nothing else that was made in the image of God so that as kindred spirits they could walk together worshiping God and loving one another. There was nothing like Adam, nothing that met him that could fit him. There were birds, and birds are very nice. A bird could come and land on a tree branch above Adam's head and sing a sweet melody to Adam. Very nice. There were animals like perhaps what we know as a dog. And this four-footed creature with a nice furry coat could come up to Adam and rub up against his leg and whimper at him and nuzzle into Adam's bosom and Adam could pet that animal. And that's very, very nice. But there wasn't anything that was like him. Not even the angels who have a different nature. And there was no hominid. No parent creature from whom Adam had descended through millions of years of evolutionary development that Adam came from this parent what? What parent creature? There was not anything. There was not anyone that was like Adam. No one. And so God's very first act is to wake Adam up to this conscious realization, I'm alone. And then his second act was to make a woman. 21 and 22, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib Which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman. God puts Adam to sleep, not because God will play the part of the surgeon and he doesn't want his patient to feel any pain, so like giving an anesthetic. Now, God will put him to sleep and then open him up and take out that rib. No, no. God put him to sleep because God is about to perform the wonder work of creation. And when our God creates, He will have no human eyewitnesses. He makes the whole world. And then, He makes the man. And now, before He makes the last creature woman, He takes that man and puts him to sleep. Man will not see How God creates. No human eyewitnesses. The same thing is really true in the spiritual realm with regeneration. The Bible calls regeneration a new creation. When the Spirit comes into the heart of the dead elect sinner for the very first time and makes that sinner alive, that's a new creation. And the canons of Doric call it a supernatural work that is not inferior to the creation of the world. Regeneration. There are no eyewitnesses. There are no witnesses of regeneration as a new creation. You don't experience your Regeneration. You don't see your regeneration. You don't feel your regeneration. Regeneration, that one-time act, it always occurs underneath the level of our consciousness. The only way you can know your regeneration is by the fruits thereof. The life that comes out of it. No witnesses of regeneration. There are no human eyewitnesses of God's work of creation. And that's because God will magnify His Word, the written Word of God. You know that sun in the heavens? Every human being knows that God made it. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his, he- his handiwork. Everyone knows that God made the sun. When did God make the sun? How did God make the sun? Nobody knows. No scientist knows. No professor knows. No Christian knows. Adam doesn't know. Adam doesn't know because Adam didn't see. He wasn't there. There was no human eyewitnesses. The only way you can know how and when God made that son is by reading the Bible. The Bible tells me so. And so here's God about to perform the wonder work of creation. He puts Adam to sleep. And Adam won't know where this creature came from. He'll never be able to tell his children, I was laying down in a grassy meadow and God started opening me up and God took out... He doesn't know. We believe the Bible, and therefore we believe what the Bible says that God put Adam to sleep. And while he was sleeping, then God took out one of his ribs. And with that rib, God, well, verse 22 says, made he a woman. The Hebrew is a bit more expressive and says, built he a woman. If you've ever built anything, then you know there's a plan and there's foresight and there's care and there's craftsmanship and there's attention to detail. God took a rib and with that rib, He built a woman. He did not take her out of the dust. He took Adam out of the dust of the ground. He did not take the woman out of the dust of the ground. Had He done that, now there would be Really, there'd be two independent beginnings, two, two. The whole of the human race, every single human being comes out of Adam and Eve, and even the woman, even the woman, comes out of the man. There's one beginning. there's one organic head, Adam. and out of Adam, God builds a woman. And then, finally, as the climax to the act of God, he brings her to the man. Verse 22, "...and brought her unto the man." This was the first wedding of human history. That's plain from the words of the inspired writer in verse 24, where he states, "...therefore shall the man leave his father and his mother... And shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's the institution of the creation ordinance of marriage for every human being. Verse 24. Therefore, and what follows? Therefore doesn't make any sense. Unless what precedes it in our text is a wedding, a marriage. Only then does verse 24, therefore, make sense. This is a wedding. The very first wedding and marriage of human history, there were no rings, no dress, no suit, no bridesmaid, no groomsmen, no officiating pastor or any kind of officiant. Obviously, there's no photography. The groom was sleeping. While he's sleeping, God made a woman out of him, a bride. And then God wakes up the groom and he brings the bride to the groom and they're married. The husband and his wife. Adam and the woman. And that's the great work of God in the text. God brings the woman to the man. Now we can understand more of this act of God as we keep reading in the text and listen to Adam's response. And that response of Adam is divided into two parts. As we consider it this morning, what he said, the content of it. And then secondly, how he said it, the manner of expression. This is what Adam said, verse 23. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Obviously, Adam did not know where this creature had come from because he was sleeping. So God told him. And now Adam knowing, I'm a man. I'm a man. And this creature who was just taken out of me, she's a woman. Because she was taken out of me. She's a woman. She's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. What is a woman? A woman... Is a female human being. We could say a female man, as long as you understand that sometimes we say man and mean male, and sometimes we say man and mean and mean human. Human. She is a female human. She's not an animal. There are lots of animals. She's not one of them. So don't treat her like one. She is not an angel. So do not have expectations for her as if she were an angel. She's not a male. That's a contradiction. She's a female human being. God made the human, and the human comes in two distinct versions. Chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. And now here are the two versions. Male and female created he them. In the Hebrew tongue, if you want to take a noun and make it feminine grammatically, then you would add the ending ah. In the text, the word for man is in the Hebrew ish. And the word for woman is Isha. So you have the man Ish, and then you have the woman. What's a woman? Ish and Isha. She's the female version of the human. Even in the English we say man and wo man. The glory of the woman as created by God is that she was made meat for the man this one now in the garden meets him she's at his level she's of his rank she has his spirituality she has a soul just like just like he does she can know and relate to god she's rational she's moral she's spiritual she has a body just like he does that is of the same substance she's meat for him but she is the female version, so that uh, though there is much sameness between them, there are differences. She is different biologically, physically, sexually, emotionally, psychologically. And we don't have time nor the purpose this morning to try to articulate all those differences between the male and the female, but only to underscore, as everybody knows, That the male and the female are different. And as a woman, she perfectly corresponds to the man. She fits him. She's a complement for him. She balances him. She makes him complete. Everything he lacks as he stands there in the garden, he finds in her. And God made them to go together as complements, so that God makes the woman out of the man and then... God brings the woman right back to the man to be with him so that they live together and they stay together. And in that relationship now, he will have the authority. He's the head. God made him. And God made the woman out of him. And he named the creatures and her. He will have the authority. And she will be, according to the text, the helper who will live with him and love him and serve him and care for him as together they lived together in the mutual bonds of love. God certainly didn't make a man a male and bring the male to Adam so that Adam says, "Is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He shall... Homosexuality is a vile perversion. God made a woman and he brought the woman to the man what is a woman if you go back to the beginning in genesis chapter 2 a woman is the female version of the human being a woman is the one who is made out of the man and one who is brought to the man as the only one in the whole of the creation who fits him god brings the woman to the man now, there's not only in verse 23 what Adam says, but there's his manner of expression. And that's disguised a little bit in the text. The text reads as if this is a bare statement of fact. But you really ought to read verse 23 as a cry of sheer delight. And that's, evidence, that's evident, first of all, from the circumstances of that very busy first day. God made Adam on day six. Adam has a very busy first day, he's moving around in the creation, he's seeing all kinds of things, he's observing everything that God had made, it never would have entered into his imagination that there would be another, just like him, another human being. God starts bringing all these animals to Adam, and he's naming these animals through the course of the day, and then God puts Adam to sleep, and he enters into this deep sleep, and then God wakes Adam, he, he wakes Adam up, and Adam opens his eyes. And now, standing before him is the most astonishing and magnificent and stunning thing he had ever beheld. In all of her glory and beauty as created by God. It was a woman. A woman. And you can imagine the heart of Adam pounding with excitement. A woman. And so in verse 23 when we read, And Adam said, we could read, And Adam cried in delight. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And you can only wonder what she said. There they stood, looking into one another's eyes. The man and his wife, and they were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And they came together in all the bliss of their marriage but in addition to those circumstances, consider two little words in verse 23. First of all, now, Adam says, This is now, bone of my bones. And that little word now means now at last, now finally. And the idea is not that Adam was becoming sinfully impatient, but when he's naming these animals, and here come some more birds, and here come some more beasts of the field. It evidently didn't take very long before it to dawn on Adam, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm all alone. And here come more animals and more animals. And through the course of the day, God keeps pressing it deeper and deeper upon Adam's consciousness. I'm the only one who's alone. I'm alone. And then God puts him to sleep and when God wakes him up and sets right before his eyes a woman, Adam does not say, This is bone of my bones. Adam says, This is now, now at last, now finally. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Woman. And he says, This, this is now. Now probably none of us as men would ever identify our wife by using the near demonstrative pronoun this so that if you're in a crowd of people, you're meeting for the first time and someone says, so you're married, Uh, who's your wife? You probably wouldn't say this. Sounds very cold, very impersonal. Adam says this. Because he doesn't want to use any kind of term that will in any respect limit her glorious being. He doesn't want to use any term that will call attention only to one aspect of her beautiful person and being. So he says this, this one here, For all that she is from the crown of her head all the way down to the sole of her foot. For all that she is externally in the body and all that she is internally and spiritually all the way down into the deepest recesses of her heart. This one here is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man It's a cry of delight. Woman, she's from the man. Woman, she's for the man. And Adam knew it and joyfully exclaimed it. God brought the woman to the man. There are many points of significance for us this morning in consideration of this great act of God, let's consider three of them. One with respect to man. One with respect to the woman who was brought to the man. And another with respect, and this is the climax, the conclusion, God who brought the woman to the man. So let's begin with man. The main point of significance this morning is that it is not good for the man to be alone. There are of course exceptions and the exception is by no means inferior. It is good for some men to be single. To be alone. It is the will of God that some men be single. It's not good for them to be alone in the absolute sense of the word. It's not good for anyone to be alone from Christ. To be alone from the body of Christ which is the church. But it is good for some to be alone with respect to a woman The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 extols the virtues of the single life and he could wish that there were other men who were single as he was single. Because when you are single and you do not have to care for a spouse and a family of children, you can more readily devote yourself to the Lord and to his kingdom. And Paul celebrates that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And you think about his life and his, his missionary journeys and the thousands and thousands of miles he traveled. Imagine Paul on even one missionary journey and everything he faced. Having a wife and a family of children. He said, I'm very glad to be single to devote myself to the Lord While there are exceptions, the text and the rest of Scripture makes plain that it is not good for the man to be alone. And that's the rule. This is a word for single men in the church. Ordinarily, not always. Ordinarily. The man without the woman is incomplete in his life and the church must say that it is not good for the man to be alone young man of marriageable age and circumstances get married And if you're too immature and you're too selfish and you're too wrapped up in all your worldly pursuits and you don't want to be financially responsible, you don't want to be spiritually responsible, then you need to grow up in the Lord Jesus. It's not good for the man to be alone. Pray for a spouse. Be, be observant to God's providential leading as He does bring to every man his wife. Keep your eyes open. And maybe we could all do more to create opportunities for young men and women to, to meet each other. It's not good for the man to be alone. But that's God's word too to the married man this morning. Married man, it's not good for you. be alone it's not good for you to be married legally on paper but not actually in practice it's not good for you if you do not consciously feel your need for your wife and draw near to your wife and communicate with your wife and live together with your wife it's not good for the man always to be alone always alone from his wife Always alone and with his hobbies and his interests, his recreation, his leisure, his sports, his books. Always alone and with his screen, with his alcohol, with another woman who is not his spouse married man it is not good for you to be alone from your wife it's not good for you cruelly to mistreat her so that she runs for refuge now you're both alone not good And to the husband who doubts whether he ever should have gotten married because his wife makes him miserable, constantly makes him miserable, there is so much power in the cross. In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, power in Jesus to be faithful, to love as He loves, to speak as He speaks and keep living out of the power of the cross and keep praying and to any man who was married and God took your wife in death or your wife ran away and abandoned you and now you're all alone and this goes both ways of course vice versa our God is bowels of compassion for you. And to any church that begins to look like the Roman Catholic Church and forces untold numbers of men into a vow of celibacy and then reaps all manner of sexual perversion, let the Scriptures be proclaimed loudly and clearly, it is not good for the man to be alone. But it is good, very good, for the man to have his woman, his wife. And together they can live in the holy, the bond of holy wedlock, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, joint heirs of the grace of life. It is good. And so if there's any unmarried man who wants a wife, keep praying to God and wait on the Lord. Second, with respect to the woman this morning, we learned that her glorious place in marriage is that of a helper. Again, there are exceptions in that not every woman will be married. There are single women and God makes them single and it is good for them to be single. And again, Then their place too is that of a helper. The woman is a helper. She's a helper in the body of Christ. Ordinarily, the woman will be married, and God didn't make her to say, I'm the man, or I don't need my man. God didn't make her to say, I'm the ruler, I rule you. I'm the boss, I boss you. He didn't make her to be an arguer, to argue with her man. He didn't make her to be the Facebooker who Facebooks her man right into aloneness. A few months ago, a married man came to me and said, Help, my wife won't get off Facebook and Pinterest. What do you mean? She's on Facebook and Pinterest all day long, every day, morning, noon, and night, even on Sunday. And when we're in the car together, driving somewhere, she's on Facebook or Pinterest. Well, of course, the question of the man is well, what are you doing? What are you doing to make her want to be with you? I try. Can we go on a walk? Can we play a game? Can we talk? Just the two of us, can we talk? And she won't get off. She won't get off her Facebook and Pinterest. Well, God didn't make the woman to Facebook her husband into aloneness. God made the woman to look at her man and say, This is my man. From the crown of his head all the way down to the sole of his foot. All that he is externally in the body. And all that he is internally and spiritually all the way deep down into the inner recesses of his heart. This is my man. And God made him to be the head over me in our home. And God gave him a calling to put bread on our table. And to have something we can put in our hands so we can give it to the poor. And my man often has responsibilities on behalf of the Christian school on behalf of the Christian church. Many responsibilities. Often challenges and stresses. And now here I am. What can I do? And what can I say? And who can I be to make your life more enjoyable? Because the Word of God says that God made me to be your helper who's fit for you. And that's not bondage for the godly woman. That's not unnatural for the woman. That's her role. That's her glory. That's her honor as created by God. And if there's any woman who thinks is too lowly, is too shameful for me to be a helper to the man, then the woman needs to look very closely at Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2 that before God made the woman, God said, it is not good. And it's only after He made the woman as a helpmeet for the man That crowning masterpiece of the whole creation, more glorious than the sun, moon, and stars, is the woman. It's only after making the woman that God says, Now it is good, I will rest. Finally, with respect to God, we learn two things. In consideration of his names in the text, four times, I will not reread all the verses. Four times we read the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. First of all, God, that name in the text reveals God in all of his virtue as the Creator in the beginning. God created. And isn't that marvelous this morning? God created created as no one else can do. He made the whole universe out of nothing. He made the man by forming him out of the dust of the ground. And he built the woman out of a rib. Let me give you a rib. You give me a rib. One rib. Hold that rib in your hand and now try to take that rib and build a self conscious, rational, moral, thinking, willing, thoughtful, loving, considerate, beautiful, glorious, human being called a woman who can do what our God can do. Let everything that hath breath praise Him, the Creator of all things, God. And secondly, His name is Lord in all capital letters. That's Jehovah, the God of covenant salvation in Jesus Christ. So that when you read in the New Testament of the proper name Jesus, you learn this in catechism that the name Jesus means Jehovah or Lord salvation. So Jehovah in the text will appear later in the New Testament as Jesus. Jehovah The God of covenant salvation in Jesus. Now isn't that interesting? That the God who built the woman is the God of salvation? There is no salvation yet. There is no sin yet. And yet the God of covenant salvation is the one who builds the woman. Indeed it is not good that the man be alone. This man Adam. So long as he is alone, God's Grand purpose will not be fulfilled. And this is God's great purpose to make the man and to make the woman and to bring them together. And according to his sovereign decree, they will fall into sin and become corrupt, totally depraved. And they will bring forth seed. And pretty soon the whole of the earth will be populated by human beings who come from Adam and Eve, all of them corrupt in sin. And God, according to his decree of election, will call out of that human race a church, a chosen peculiar people, to be his people and to save them, incorporate them into his covenant. And one day he will cause his only begotten son, to be conceived by the Holy Ghost and to be born out of one of those human beings, a woman, as the seed of the woman. And this Savior will come. He will suffer and He will die for all of those people who belong to the company of the predestinated. And He will reconcile them unto God so that they can be brought into God's covenant and know God. And one day at the end of history, Jesus Christ will come again and He will take all of those elect people, Justified, sanctified, preserved through history. He will take them into the highest heights of heaven to live with God in the new heavens and the new earth with their Savior Jesus and all the holy angels. And in that great day, God's covenant will be consummated and God will be all in all. How will that happen? When this man named Adam in the garden is all alone. Indeed, it is not good that the man be alone. And so God brought to him a woman to fulfill his saving covenantal purposes in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And God be thanked this morning that God not only brought a woman to that man, he brought him a Savior. And for all of us as the people of God, a Savior whom we all need. Because there's no one in this auditorium this morning who is living perfectly faithful in holy wedlock, perfectly faithful in dating, perfectly faithful in the single life. We all have sins. We all need covering in the blood of Jesus. And we not only need His blood to cover us, we need His Holy Spirit. So that by the power of His Spirit, we can be faithful in holy wedlock, in dating, and in the single life. And in these last perilous days, that we and our children, by the power of the Spirit of Jesus, can stand for the truth of the opening chapters of Genesis regarding marriage and manhood and womanhood that the foundation of the church does not even begin to shake. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word, for all of it, including the book of Genesis and its opening chapters, which are so deep and glorious and full of good instruction for us, yea, even to the end of this age. Father, ever teach us Thy Word. Give us conviction concerning it, and may we not be ashamed of the Bible, and of our Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.